I was not looking for a spiritual moment, but I had one. I'm, I'm just there. Nobody is around me. And it's just me in the ocean. And I was like, wow, God, this is cool. I mean, this is beautiful. And it was as if God said in my spirit, you know what, Ashley, this is beautiful, but heaven is better than this. Welcome to the Storytellers Lab podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. And we say every week that there are stories of hope, and this is a story of hope. Today, we are bringing you Ashley McCreary's story from our Auburn Opelika team. And actually, Katie and Lindy both were there, so I'm going to let y'all tell about her story. Katie and I have both known Ashley since college, but I will tell you, First of all, it was great being back at a live gathering. It was beautiful. It was so well attended. But Ashley's countenance in telling her story, I went up to her afterwards and I said, you know what? I, I don't say this very often, but you are truly filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. I mean, and you will you will hear that in her voice as she tells her story and really gives us such a, a perspective of eternity. Absolutely, Lindy. You know, I've known Ashley for years. She's always been a mentor to me, someone that I looked up to. Hearing her story is just such a beautiful reminder that God is in the details of our lives. She will mention over and over again that He goes before you. And one of the other things that Ashley does, in addition to us looking for God in the details of our lives, is also looking at life through an eternal perspective. This is not our home. We are all headed to another destination. So I loved that. And because Ashley was just so wonderful, I wrote a discovery guide on her story for our Patreon members. You might be asking, what is a discovery guide? Well, it's really just a one-sheet Bible study that just delves into Ashley's story a little bit more with scripture references. Um, it, it helps you to have time you know, with the Holy Spirit and just really asking Him what He wants you to learn through the power of her story. And you can find the discovery guide in our Patreon community. And if you click on the link in our show notes, it will take you to Patreon. And you can join our community there. Here's Ashley's story. Um, My name is Ashley McCrary, and I'm actually living here in Auburn now. Before I get started with my story, I want to give you a little bit of backdrop. I grew up in Mobile, and I have three incredible sisters that are like my best friends. Our parents, very godly people, thankfully, they're up here on the front row. And we were the type of family that was in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, involved in GAs, Act Teens. You know, we went to Spring Hill Baptist Church, um, and I absolutely loved growing up in church there. As the story's told, I became a Christian when I was very young. I was five years old. It was about a month after I turned five. My mom was actually decorating her Sunday school room for vacation Bible school. And then my sisters and I were sitting with my dad in a chapel very much so like this. And probably on the fifth or sixth verse of Just As I Am, I tug on my dad's jacket and said, I want to go ask Jesus into my heart. And I walked the aisle. He didn't hesitate at all. My mother on the hand was like, what? <laughs> you let her do what while I was decorating? But um, needless to say, my parents were very wise. That week, they took me in to go see Dr. Gunnels, our preacher. And um, and I don't remember everything about that conversation, but I do remember the end, him telling me, there is no doubt that you love Jesus. And just like Jesus said in the Bible, let the little children come. He gave me the full confidence that, that this was a real salvation experience for me. I never doubted that as a child or growing up. But just like a lot of people who become Christians when they're very young, I did have kind of that rebellious time, then junior high and part of my high school, that probably legitimately broke my parents' heart several times. But I was also one of those who I loved going to church. It was like I was maybe different Monday through Saturday, but Sunday mornings, they did not have to worry about waking me up. 
I loved going. And I think because of that, I had a really sweet foundation. I was one of those who went to um, Bible drill. I don't know if y'all did that. I'm extremely competitive. And so I always liked being able to find the book of the Bible first and know where all these things were. Um, I was just that kind of person. I can remember growing up singing the hymns, and one of my favorite stories is we didn't have a piano at my house, but I can remember my parents teaching me hymns for this hymn contest, which I won because I'm very competitive. And I wanted the little Burgundy Bible, just like our minister of music had. But that's the kind of upbringing I had was being in church and whatnot. But it wasn't until I got to college that I really realized that I wanted my relationship to be reflected every day, my relationship with the Lord. And so I remember coming to Auburn. I was an Alpha Gam here with Katie. And I just decided, yeah, I'm going to live my life for God from here on out. And one of my best friends who's here tonight, Katie Windsor, took me to a Bible study that Betty Thomas taught. And Betty and I actually have reconnected if anybody was in her study. She would have been here tonight, but in true Betty fashion, she's mentoring young women tonight, so she's not here. Betty's study was one of those where all of a sudden a lot of that head knowledge I had really started to turn to some heart knowledge. I was on the cusp of becoming an adult. Um, I was dating who I ended up marrying, and I just loved a lot of the things that she was teaching. I'm telling you this for a reason. This is kind of the backdrop to my story, because one of the things that I learned from Betty was that God had a plan for my life, and he was going to carry that plan to completion, that his plan would not be thwarted, and that even if difficult circumstances came along, I can remember Betty telling us, you know, difficult circumstances are like a platform for you to be able to reveal God's glory in your own life and hopefully reveal God's glory to other people. I can remember, she didn't say it this way, but I remember learning very early on not to give credit to God for something that Satan had done. And what I mean by that is a lot of times when difficult things happen in your life, you'll be like, why did God let that happen? Or why did God do that? And I can remember learning in college, you know, it's it, that's giving credit to God for something that Satan did. Because I know that God prepared a good plan for me, a plan to prosper me and not harm me, to give me a future and a hope. And those are the things I learned from Betty. But the other thing that she taught was a book on of Ruth. If you've ever studied with Betty, um, it's four chapters out of the Bible that we took the entire semester <laughs> to study. And the one thing I walked away from learning with Ruth is that God takes care of the details. I used to think that God, like, he only cared about the big things, the really big things. But if you know the study of Ruth, you know that God took care of every detail of her life. So you will rarely hear me say, well, you know, randomly this happened. Or, you know, if just by chance this happened. Because I know that God wrote out my days before I was ever born. Not one of them came to be that he did not know about. Nothing surprises him. And so a lot of that, like I said, I learned through Betty. Well, the other thing is once I got married, Dave and I moved to Birmingham and I was in two Bible studies there, the riddle study, which is a lot of accountability, a lot of memory verse, that kind of thing. And then Kathy Girardeau um, was at Covenant Presbyterian. She discipled me for years. And again, a lot of scripture memory. I do not tell you all that to go, look how spiritual I am. It's quite the opposite. Okay. But I do want to share that I do think just because I have that bent toward wanting to have scripture written on my heart, it completely helped me through the last year, the last nine years of my life. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a parable in the Bible that Jesus talks about, you know, if you were to build your house on the rock, when the storms come and the rains come, you will not be shaken. But if you build your house on the sand, then when the storms come, then you pretty much, your, your house is going to fall apart. Because a person who builds their house on the rock, you know, the rock is symbolic of the Word of God, and those things that you can fall back on that never change. So when bad things happen, you're able to go, okay, well, I know that God has a plan for me to prosper me, not to harm me. 
I know that God will heal me. I know that he hears my prayers and he answers them. I mean, I've got 25 verses up here I could read. I won't do that. But when you fall back on those verses, you're able to go through those difficult times. But so often, I feel like nowadays in particular, a lot of us build our house in the sand. So when the storms come, the rains come, the wind comes, what ends up happening is fear sets in. The enemy begins to clamor for our attention. And if we're not careful, our fear is what drives our behavior. Anxiety, depression, isolation drives our behavior. And so I wanted to bring that up because that kind of is an overarching theme of what I'm going to talk about tonight. Just the fact that the difficulties are going to happen, y'all. If you're not in a crisis right now, you just got out of one. (laughs) You're about to be in one or you're in one currently. Am I not right? So um, my overarching theme tonight does have to do with the fact that if we could build our house on the rock, then when those shaky times come, we will not be shaken. All right. So moving on, I want to go in and start telling you my story. Um, I married my high school sweetheart, who's the good looking man up here with glasses and the, um, and he's got his scrubs on from work. And, uh, Dave and I actually have been married almost 30 years. Um, he was my, like I said, high school sweetheart. We have four children, um, Gavin, Jackson, Caroline, and Ben. And, um, we moved to Birmingham after we got married and Dave was a high school teacher. He taught at Hoover High School for almost 10 years, 10 years. And he absolutely loved it. Y'all, he absolutely loved it. But I'm popping out babies left and right and trying to do private speech therapy and keep, you know, food on the table, I guess. And it became increasingly difficult for us to do that. So um, after a lot of prayer and whatnot, and somebody in our Sunday school class suggested that Dave interview to start selling drugs, which he did. He started selling drugs, um, which he could do in Birmingham, and it was pharmaceutical drugs, just to be clear. <laughs> And um, and then we found out that you could sell drugs better in Memphis. And so we decided to move to Memphis. Dave got a promotion that took us to Memphis. And if there are any pharmaceutical reps in the room, you're going to know that the next thing I'm about to say is nothing short of a miracle. Because once we got there, um, Dave was calling on oncologists and urologists. And one of the oncology groups split, and they needed a new administrator. And out of the blue, they talked to Dave and was like, would you be interested in being our administrator? And, um, y'all, Dave was, uh, I mean, I knew him since high school, and I'm looking at him thinking, you're supposed to be a teacher, and now you don't have a, a master's degree in that. But he became the administrator for this great oncology group in Memphis, got his master's at Vanderbilt in hospital administration, and we lived in Memphis for nine years. So that's going to be an important part of my story that we're going to circle back to in just a few minutes. Um, the other thing is we, um, when we lived in Birmingham, some of our best friends there, Katie and Russell Windsor, um, that we used to do a ton of stuff with, and Jill and Troy Howard. And Jill's not here tonight because her son's getting married on Saturday. But we did a lot with them. We traveled with them, go to the lake with them, next to my family. That's probably who I spend a lot of time with. And this one particular year, we decided to go to the beach together. We were down at the beach, and Katie and Jill had talked about how they saw this black spot on my eye. I remember that night, Jill saying, hey, what is, what is that thing on your eye? And I remember going in and looking in the mirror, and I was like, yeah, I mean, it was noticeable, y'all. It's, it was significant. And I came out, and I showed Dave. I was like, have you ever noticed this before? And he was like, never. I'd never seen it. And y'all, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I went back to Memphis, and I didn't do anything about it. I do not have an anxious personality, praise the Lord, but maybe a little anxiousness would have helped, I guess. At that time, I Googled change in eye color. And there was nothing alarming, which is kind of crazy. And y'all, I did nothing. 
about it. Well, a month goes by, and it's Caroline's birthday, June 23rd. And you can ask any of my kids. One of the things that we do when we um, have a birthday is we go out to eat, and typically we go to hibachi. All right, so hibachi girl. And um, on this particular birthday, Caroline's best friend had also had a birthday that week and was having a spend-the-night party. And so Caroline was not with us on her birthday, which was very unusual. We got an invitation to one of the doctor's houses for a dinner. Y'all, we would have never gone had Dave not been their administrator. Okay, so let that marinate for a second. We go to this dinner, and while we're there, one of the wives named Julie came up to me, and as we're talking, she was like, hey, what is that spot on your eye? Why don't you let my husband look at it? And so he comes and he looks at it. He says, Ashley, I don't mean to scare you or anything, but you need to go have that looked at, like, right away. So, y'all, come Monday morning, I thought, well, let me Google eye doctors near me. I'd never had an eye exam since, like, elementary school. And I didn't research, like, good doctors or anything. And I made this appointment for, like, three weeks later, went about my business. Later that week, I am shopping at Target, and as I'm leaving, there's, like, a Vision Works, you know, like, next to it. And I see this huge poster that said, free eye exam. And I was like, well, there you go. I'll just go in there. Um, a little public service announcement. If you think you have something wrong with your eye, don't go. I'm not casting shade on Vision Works. Get your glasses there if you want to. But that's not where you need to go to have a comprehensive eye exam. But I go in, and this cute little pregnant lady did my exam, finished, told me the kind of glasses I needed. And I said, hey, um, did you notice this spot on my eye? And she leaned back, and she was like, wow, you do. <laughs> you have this black spot on your eye. Um, and she was like, let me, let me call somebody. I think I need to get you into a doctor that you need to see. So remember how I said God wrote out our days before we were ever born. Y'all, there's no doubt there's a reason the sweet young lady was, was put in my life. I probably would have ended up with a doctor who had never seen what this is in my eye, but she got me into this great doctor like a week later. So I go in to see Dr. Matthews. Um, they do all these crazy cool tests. And next thing I know, um, have you, if you've ever had an eye exam, you know they come and they sit like right here. And I remember wishing I had a breath mint because this cute little resident came in and he's right there. And he looks in both of my eyes and then hovers over the right one. He's like, I'm going to go get the doctor. I'll be right back. Dr. Matthews comes in, goes back and forth. He was like, I'm going to go get my partner. I'll be right back. Next thing I knew, six to eight doctors were in the room and residents and one at a time sitting down looking at my eye. I'm being very polite. And I was like, you know what? I'm starting to feel like the interesting case. And I know it's not good to be the interesting case. So what's going on? And sweet Dr. Matthews takes out a little sticky note and he writes down iris melanoma and hands it to me. He said, do you know what melanoma is? And I said, oh, yes, I do. Um, Should I be concerned about this? He said, no, I don't think you need to. Um, No pun intended. We're just going to keep an eye on it. And I was like, okay, so what does that mean? He said, we'll measure it and whatnot. But just to be safe, we're going to get you into an ocular oncologist. Didn't even know they existed, but that's an eye doctor that specializes in cancer. So Dave goes with me the following week, and we have all these amazing tests run. To this wonderful man, Matt Wilson, who is a doctor that sees most of the, the kids at St. Jude. He also sees doc, you know, adults, but mostly St. Jude kids who have eye cancer. So he comes in, Dr. Wilson does, and he just says very matter-of-factly, um, I've got some really bad news. This is not an iris melanoma. It's a really bad, aggressive type of cancer to have. And yours is so big and regular shaped that we can't radiate it. We're going to have to take your eye out. And I just remember going, What? <laughs> I remember leaning against the wall and Dave sitting across from me and me thinking, I'm sorry, what did my ears hear you say? Like, take my eye out? And he was like, yes. And Dave and I both were, it was so matter of fact and so quick. 
we were like, I think, I think we need a second opinion, which he was gracious, very gracious and said, yes, but you will be back. So he gave us two weeks. My sister went with me. We went to go see um, a specialist in Atlanta and came back and he told us, he said, you need to have your eye removed. So I go back to Memphis and have my eye taken out in August of 2012. So this was nine years ago. And y'all, when they take your eye out, I guess the one cool thing, if you want to talk about cool things, is they take a little piece of coral from the ocean and they put it in your eye and they attach muscles to the side and to the top so that you have like conversational movement. So I do have a little bit of that, but it's not great. But all that to say, when they take your eye out, they put that in. You can't really move your head very much for like three days. You have to stay in this kind of holding your head up so that gravity doesn't pull on those muscles that are around the coral in your eye. And while I was sitting there for those three days, um, my family had been so well taken care of by my friends, my family, our community. Oh my gosh, it was insane how we were taken care of. But during those three days, I get this letter in the mail. And, um, and it had a verse in it that I've got to say I probably had read but never really resonated with me. And it was from Hosea 2.14. And it said, I will allure her and I will take her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And y'all, it was one of those verses, like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, never more have I ever felt like I was in a wilderness than right now. Um, my oldest, Gavin, was a junior in high school and being highly recruited for football. Jackson was a freshman and real busy in all sports and everything. Caroline was in seventh grade and volleyball player and music and church. And Sweet Ben was in second grade. And there was not a busier time for a mom <laughs> than then. I want to um, you to imagine what it's like, like, when you drive you think you have a blind side, try to drive with one eye. It is a lot of fun. My kids will tell you. They get away with murder. They do stuff over here like I can't see my eye. It's kind of a funny experience to go driving. I don't have any depth perception, hence the broken foot that I have because my sweet sister Margie and I were in Philadelphia recently and I fell and broke both feet, not just one. I just completely did it right because I could not see. Okay, so that's why. So back to my story of this verse. I want to give a little bit of hindsight into my story real quick and tell you some cool things because all of a sudden during this time that I was totally having to rest and be still, God started showing me, Ashley, look back at all that I've done up to now and how you are going to be able to trust me through this. So I'm going to tell you a quick story about my friend Jill. This is one that I'm personally not very proud of, but when I was in high school, Jill's three years older than me. And I was always very jealous of her. She's very pretty. She had this red fancy car. She was allowed to do things because she was older than me. She lived in the same neighborhood as Dave and the McCrary's. She could drop by and see him whenever she wanted and, and whatnot. And even though I had no reason to be envious of her, I was extremely jealous. Never in a thousand years, a million years, would I have thought that she and I would have grown up to be friends, much less close friends. And y'all, you know how Jesus had the masses and he has his twelve. And then he has his three. My sisters count as one. And Jill and Katie are my two and three. And so if I something, if something happens to me, I call my parents, my sisters, and I call Jill and Katie. And the fact that God would redeem that relationship in such a way that not only would he use Jill to tell me, but like, I mean, that we would be that close of friends. It's, it's really kind of cool to me. And I'll tell you why. My husband's nickname for me is Sweet Eyes. He looked at me all the time. Two weeks prior to this beach trip, I was with my family for my mom's birthday and Mother's Day. Nobody noticed the spot on my eye. I worked with doctors and nurses in the hospital full-time every day, and God used Jill to tell me about the spot on my eye. Then he takes me to a dinner party that I should not even be at because it's my daughter's birthday. (laughs) And who does he have but Julie say, hey, why don't you talk to my husband who's a cancer doctor and him say, you need to have this looked at. 
why would I go to Vision Works? Why would I do that? And then he puts this sweet girl in my life. One story I didn't tell y'all is we found out as I was going to have my eye made that our insurance didn't cover it or didn't cover it completely. I don't remember exactly. And y'all, Facebook was new then. I gotten up. You really didn't have it on your phone. It was mostly on your computer. I got up and it was on the computer late at night because I couldn't sleep. And there was this um, contest that you could write, uh, I guess, a paragraph about why your family needed to go on vacation. So I write this, like, poor pitiful me. I've had this cancer. We need to go to Branson, Missouri, I guess, for this vacation. But the cool thing was, instead of giving us the vacation, they said, you can take the vacation or the money. And you guessed it, the amount of money we got was exactly what I needed to have my eye made. Y'all, I call those speak tenderly to me kind of moments. How God had me in the wilderness, had me see in hindsight all these sweet things that he was doing for me. Not only that, but this is a very rare cancer. And I remember telling my doctor, you know what's weird about this? Is I have two friends who went to Auburn who had this cancer and had their eye removed. And he was like, there's no way. There's no way. Um, This is too rare. They didn't have the same cancer. And I was like, no, no, I know two friends. And um, y'all probably know this, those of you who know me, but Allison Allred, um, who used to live in Birmingham, and Julie Green, who just shared her story on Storytellers a couple of weeks ago, um, they were two friends that I was able to call. You know, most people who are diagnosed with ocular melanoma, they don't know anybody who has this cancer. And I had two friends who I was able to walk through this time with me, who prayed for me, who were able to share with me their story. Um, what's cool about that, I guess, is that Allison was going through treatment in Philadelphia because these, this is a cancer that you can't just go anywhere for treatment. There's like five or six places in the United States that treat it. So Allison was in Philly being treated, and she told one of the doctors about me and Julie. And next thing you know, we're kind of on their radar. And I get a call from Philadelphia from who was a resident then, Marlena Orloff, who said, we kind of want to follow your story um, if that's okay with you. And I was like, Absolutely. So y'all fast forward five years ago, we moved to Auburn. And after we move here, I get a Facebook message from this young man's family, Mark McWilliams. Mark had gone to Auburn, was 42 years old, was an architect, um, and he died of ocular melanoma that had gone to his liver. When he was in Philadelphia being treated, there was another gentleman there who had also had ocular melanoma and worked on Auburn's campus. So next thing you know, his family reaches out and says, I think there might be something going on. Would you and Julie and Allison be willing to put a post on Facebook to see if there's anybody else? And so we did. We posted my eye. If you see my eye, it's kind of compelling. And it was shared over 2,000 times on Facebook. Over a year's period, we find out that over 40 people who either went to Auburn or worked at Auburn, had associations with Auburn, had this rare cancer. And um, it was one of those things that really thrust us into um, a spotlight. Because what ended up happening was a producer from CBS This Morning saw our story on Facebook, and she called us, and she said, I'd like to do a story on y'all, if that's okay. In process of coming to Auburn, she was in Philly, and there was a girl there, Lori Lee, who lived in Huntsville, who um, had also had ocular melanoma and went to Auburn. So they interviewed her in Philly, invited her to Auburn, and had the four of us on the CBS This Morning show. Right after it aired... The Today Show called us. I'll never forget, I was a home health rep for Home Care of East Alabama. I'm driving around in my job, and I get this call from the Today Show, kind of frantic, saying, hey, we want to interview all four of y'all today in Birmingham. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm working in Auburn. That's two hours away. No problem. We'll send a car to your house. We'll pick you up. We need you in Birmingham today. So next thing I know, I'm dropping everything. We go to Birmingham. They interview the four of us. We're on the NBC Nightly News, NBC Today Show the next day. 
And I tell you this not to go, oh, wow, look at all this public attention. Y'all, it rocked my world. It rocked my world in kind of a negative way. (laughs) Next thing I know, it is frantic at my house. I'm getting calls and emails and hundreds of, you know, should I move my kids out of the dorm and responses from Auburn. I mean, you can only imagine there was just a lot of insanity going on. And it was Caroline's senior year. And I remember feeling very distracted and frustrated and like, God, why is this happening kind of now? Even though I was glad to be able to get some, you know, what's going on kind of thing. Um, but all that to say, I was sitting in Church of the Highlands one day, and Pastor Chris was um, preaching on the book of Esther. This is a speak tenderly moment. And I was sitting there going, just really contemplating, God, why would all this be going on right now? Um, it, it's really kind of a busy time for me, <laughs> by the way. And all of a sudden, Chris shared, the, you know, the verse where Esther is being reminded by her uncle Mordecai that perhaps you were born for such a time as this. And I remember, you know, if you know that story, then you know that Esther, you know, could save all the Jewish people, but she was put in a precarious situation that she could lose her life if she went in front of the king. I mean, that wasn't my crazy story, but I felt like my world was like spiraling out of control. And yet I sat there and said, okay, God, what do you, what do you want us to do with this? And so the four of us got together collectively and we said, you know what, if one person, this is kind of how I feel about tonight even, if one person hears our story and then is compelled to go get a dilated eye exam the way that you should have one done, then it will be worth us doing this national media stuff. Um, and then I thought, well, what if, you know, we could share our faith and the process? And, and if y'all know Allison Allred, I mean, that was already all over her book. And we were like, okay, if, if God gives us the opportunity to share our faith on a public platform, then by all means, let's do it. And then we got asked to, hey, can we raise some money to maybe do some research at Auburn? It was going to be like $300,000. And we were all like, okay, if we could get this national attention and, and draw this attention to this rare cancer, then, then maybe what we could do is raise some money. And if we could find out what causes it, maybe we could find out what could cure it. So I tell you that because we have been approached by People Magazine, plus, I mean, literally dozens of local radio, TV, that kind of thing. But People Magazine wanted to do an article, and Dr. Oz wanted us to be on his show, which we were in October of that year, which was crazy. My sister was with me. She could tell you it was a crazy event. And um, Dr. Marlena Orloff went with us. Um, Dr. Mason out of Birmingham went with us to this Dr. Oz show. And one of the cool things that came from that, y'all, is I had dozens of people call me and say, you know what? I didn't have my eye examined until I saw y'all in People Magazine, or I didn't go to the doctor until I saw you on Dr. Oz, and at least eight of them were people who went to Auburn. And so when I saw that, and plus we raised all the money that we needed for research. For one, I will say this, Auburn University was and is awesome. They put up hundreds of thousands of dollars to do the type of research that needed to be done. I mean, Auburn family was Auburn family, and I was so proud of them. So um, having said that, um, it was just kind of one of those crazy times in my life that I wanted to show y'all. I, I've told my friend Katie today, I'm not one, and I don't, this is not bad if anybody says this, but I'm rare, I rarely say that was a God wink because I don't look at it as a, Oh, yeah, I I had something to do with that. I look at it as, look at what God did, you know. He knew my story, my plan before I was ever born and took care of every detail of my life. Well, now fast forward to September of 2020 in the craziness of COVID. And it's time for my regular scans. Y'all, I had scans every four to six months from the time from 2012 to 2020. And I'd gone in for my regular scans. I had to switch doctors because Dr. Graves had retired. And if y'all know the, the oncology group here, I had 
Dr. Farmer became my doctor. And if y'all know her, I love her, pray for her. I was switching doctors. And then I get a call from Susan, her nurse, that said, okay, we've got your scans in. She wants to meet with you face-to-face. Well, honestly, I thought, naively, oh, I bet she just wants to meet me because we've never met before. So I said to Susan, I said, well, do I come by myself or do I need Dave to come with me? And she said, you need Dave to come with you. And y'all, my heart just sank because I knew it probably wasn't good news. But here is where God just does amazing things. So Dave and I get in the car on Friday afternoon to go to this visit. And I text Marlena Orloff, the doctor in Philadelphia, Y'all, Dr. Sato and his team, which includes Marlena, they are world-renowned. If you live in Australia or Ukraine or Sweden or Canada, you go to Philadelphia for treatment. And I have Marlena, who's now my friend, in my phone. And I text her, and I said, Marlena, it looks like I've got some bad news for my scans. I'm headed to the doctor now. As David's my witness, she calls us. Y'all, this is somebody who... She is so busy. (laughs) I don't even know how she had the time to call us. But she called us, and she was like, breathe. It's okay. You don't know what the outcome is. But if there's something, I want you all to call me immediately. So we get in to see Dr. Farmer, and she comes in with my MRI results. Her eyes a little misty, and she's like, this is not good news. You know, she pulls up this MRI, and I was not prepared for what I saw. The cancer had spread to my liver, and there were 60 to 100 tumors in there. It looks like a buckshot, if you can imagine. Marlena calls it starry nights. Like, if you look up in the stars, you see all the little sprinkles. That's what the tumors look like. And Dave and I, I I was just shocked. I was expecting maybe one or two. But the report stopped counting at 60. And so I sat there, and as we were looking at this, Dave takes a screenshot and sends the picture to Marlena. And he says, this is what we're up against. Y'all, immediately she calls talks to Dr. Farmer and the nurses. Next thing I know, everybody in East Alabama was incredible because the radiology team is having to figure out how to put it in a digital format that could be sent to Philadelphia because they have a tumor board on Monday morning. And Marlena's like, if you can get her on there, we can have a plan for her within a week and a half. And everybody was jumping at 4.30 on a Friday afternoon. Y'all, we were so well taken care of. It was, it was just amazing. But, um, and then we decided, you know, we, then you've got the whole, how do you go and tell your family? How do you tell your sisters? How do you tell your children? Y'all, Dave and I, just to give a little perspective, and this is a tough thing, um, we knew the statistics weren't good going into it. We probably knew a little bit too much about this cancer. In the last year and a half, those who followed our story, Allison Allred had passed away. Lori Lee passed away. I spoke at Lori's funeral. Caroline sang at it. Um, these are people that were very close to us. Our friend Bart Kaiser in the Auburn group in Spanish Fort had passed away. Um, we knew that one of the statistics that came out in December of 2019 in this melanoma journal was that even with treatment, most of the time people who have this cancer live one year, one month. Y'all, it'll be a year for me, October 1st of this year. But we knew these statistics and we thought, you know what? We're just going to have to trust. We're going to have to fall back on the rock. I remember us calling our sisters, coming home and telling our children and us talking about, you know, what our plan was going to be. And um, Marlena said, you know what I think we're going to do is have you come to Philadelphia once a month for this, what's called IE treatment. And um, we were like, okay, that's the plan. That's what we're going to do. 
Okay, I'm going to play a little rewind, if I could, and just tell y'all in hindsight some things that God did that were sweet, tenderly moments that have to do with a lot of people in this room. So looking back, what's kind of interesting is Dave worked at East Alabama as a director of physician groups there. He loved his job, was very much so happy with what he was doing. But he gets a call one day out of the blue from his former boss, Luke Leonard, who said, you know what, Dave, I've got a position in Auburn. I don't know if you want to get back in sales. And Dave's like, you know, I'm not really looking, but okay. And he went through this very rigorous interview process and got a job with Intuitive, um, which is takes, does the Da Vinci robot. He's a clinical specialist now with him. The reason that is significant is prior to Allison passing away, her husband, John, works for Intuitive in Birmingham. And so I tell you that because I think it's so sweet of God to provide a friend in John and his sales team. Their sales team name is called the Warriors out of respect of Allison. And y'all, when I go through this, I've got all kinds of people that I've met over the years that I can talk to on Facebook, but Dave doesn't know anybody. And God would provide John and a team of people who know what he's gone through. Um, when Allison passed away, that was right when Dave got that job. And I just thought it was so sweet of God to not just take care of me, but take care of my husband. And then if you were to kind of fast forward, I got, I got a promotion with my company. And um, the type of job that I had was really, it was like a pharmaceutical rep. And during covid they did not stop. But for me, I got to work from home where I got to help as a sales director manage a team that I absolutely love in North Alabama. And I got to do it every day, but yet travel to Philadelphia once a month. Um, I'm going to end on my favorite story, but before I get there, Caroline called me out on something, my daughter, in probably July during COVID. And she said, you know what, mom, when you were in Memphis, you had all kinds of friends. You had a small group, you led Bible studies, uh, you had book club, you went on girls' trips, but since we moved to Auburn, you don't do that anymore. And y'all, she was right. When we first moved here, we lived out on Society Hill. We didn't have the neighborhood. I was involved in church and went to small group, but only on that Tuesday night. Like, I didn't really invest in anything else. And, um, and she was completely right. And at the same time, call him Sweet Ben, but Sweet Ben was 15 years old. Um, I can remember how excited he was when COVID first hit, and he was like, yay, we don't have to go back to school. And, you know, your kids were so excited. But then, you know, the longer they were out and not with other kids, I just start seeing kind of he needed some guys around him. So I was like, you know what, Caroline, you're right. And I began praying about doing a small group for 15-year-old boys and having their moms, like the boys would meet downstairs and the moms would meet upstairs. And so prayerfully, I started thinking we had to keep it small, like six guys. We had my son Jackson leading and Katie's twin boys leading their Bible study downstairs. And then we had the moms meeting upstairs. And what was cool about that is this started prior to my diagnosis. All right. And I will tell you all, um, some of my small group is sitting right here. And again, it's a time that I could probably cry because I think it was so sweet that God would provide women that he knew I would need. And y'all, these women not only took care of me during this time and fed my family, but y'all, they took care of my children. I mean, even, even my oldest to my youngest, I mean, they're gifting them and they're taking care of them and nobody else was doing that, but my small group was, and I just love them for it. But the other kind of funny thing, because I think God has a sense of humor, is I began praying about which Bible study I wanted to lead. And God took me to an old Priscilla Shire study called Jonah 
a life interrupted. And y'all, I thought that it had to do with the fact that our life had been interrupted because the election was so crazy and we had all this racial turmoil that was so divisive and then there, nobody could agree on how to handle COVID. Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? I mean, it was just, ugh, you know? And I thought that God wanted us to do this life interrupted because of all those things, which probably ministered to several people in our group. Um, but I think God meant Jonah a life interrupted because during this time, I find out that I had this crazy cancer. Okay, my favorite story, and y'all have got to hold on tight for this one, okay? Because in October of 2019, a year before I was diagnosed, like I said, I was a home health rep, and what we do is we get referrals for people who need nursing and therapy at home. Very much so like a pharmaceutical rep. You go in and you talk to doctors, you go to hospitals, you go to rehab places looking for this referral. My favorite place to go was to go see Dr. Ryan at the cardiology place, right? And I go see him on this afternoon and he's got all these referrals for me. I was so excited. Normally, I took the stairs to get down to my car. But on this particular day, because he had given me some referrals, I got on the elevator so that I could read them, right, Amy? I wanted to read them, make sure everything I needed was on there. And y'all, I get on there, and there's this sweet couple who sees my name tag. They start talking to me on the elevator. When we get off, they ask if I have a business card. I was like, yes, I do. And I'm thinking they want some home health, but they exchanged cards with me because they were an AFLAC rep. I'm about to do a commercial. So I got to tell you, those people, October of 2019, they were amazing. They actually called my my office and said, we want to come in. Ashley said, we could come in and do a presentation, okay, which I hadn't, but I don't care now. But they came in, brought breakfast, met with our team, told us about all their products, and then they left. We're supposed to follow back up in January. Didn't happen. Next thing I know, it's March. COVID hits. Everybody's at home. And I get a call from my sweet Aflac rep. And she said, you know what? I want to go over some of our products with you. And I was like, well, you know what? Let me wait and get my husband on the phone because I really wanted him to hear him. I'm thinking we need life insurance or something. So we try. We schedule two or three times. Finally, May rolls around. And Dave concedes to be on this call very graciously. Um, They start talking, and all of a sudden, I see Dave doing this kind of axe signal at his throat going, we don't need this, and I'm going to leave now. Just ask them to, like, send you the information and politely get off the phone, okay? So he leaves, and I'm, like, you know, talking to these people who are very excited about their products, and I said, just email them to me. Thank you so much for your time. Sure enough, a month goes by, and they call back, have you read our email? I was like, no, I really hadn't. Let's schedule time. I'll look at it. Calls me two weeks later. I said, okay. Let me pull out the email, and let's look at it. So we don't need any life insurance, but I noticed I'm trying to be polite. This cancer policy on there, uh, I probably am not going to qualify because I had cancer, you know, eight years ago. She said, no, a matter of fact, you do qualify through your company as long as it's been greater than five years. I was like, okay. So then next thing I know, you know, she's telling me how much it costs, and all I have to do is fill out the paperwork. And y'all, I've got to tell you, I do not buy a pair of shoes if they cost $100 without asking Dave. But something in my spirit said, buy that policy. And I did without talking to him. (laughs) I actually like paid my first premium and he sees it on our bank statement. He's like, "Um, what is this Aflac thing? And I was like, oh yeah, I I purchased a a plan with them, you know, okay. And he he was totally fine with it. But y'all, let me tell you why that's significant. I paid my first premium August 1st. You have to go 30 days without getting cancer for that policy to go into effect. And I was diagnosed October 1st with ocular melanoma mets to my liver. 
And I'm told the treatment I have to have is going to be in Philadelphia once a month where we have to fly two people up there and stay in the hospital and all these medical bills and stay in a hotel. Y'all just try to imagine the cost of that. It was significant. And I didn't have to worry about any of it because they paid for my flight, paid for almost all of our hotel, paid for part of my chemotherapy, paid for my overnight stay at the hospital, for my anti-nausea medicine. I mean, these people are paying. Like, I want the blue jacket that Nick Saban wears because Aflac, the commercial, they are awesome. And um, so, again, just no worry. Like, when I look at that, I go, God, what a speak tenderly to me kind of moment that you would take care of the details of my life just like you took care of the details of Ruth. Y'all, we have such an intimate Lord if we would just be willing to be still and listen to him. So fast forward, I go through eight months of treatment. I try to be, I will tell you, the silver lining to being told that you have um, a terminal cancer is you become a lot more intentional. I was able to take my children to Philadelphia um, one at a time, which is kind of fun. Actually, Caroline has been. And, um, and then my sisters, oh my gosh, if you follow us, that was such a fun thing. We built a snowman in Central Park. I mean, how fun is that? If you didn't know you want to do it, you want to do that. That's on your bucket list. And we were able to do that. Um, but it was just, you know, I tried to have fun almost every time I went. And, y'all, that's such a precious thing that God allowed me through eight months of treatment. But in May, I find out, tragically, that it was not working. All of a sudden, my 60 tumors went to over 100 tumors. Um, all of a sudden, I have eight tumors that are measurable, and it's not working. So we have that moment, again, where we're meeting with the doctors. We have to come back and tell our children. Um, I'm meeting with my small group. I mean, it, it was a significant thing. And then we find out that the week that I, I found out that it wasn't working, they have this new trial. And it's a trial where only four people in the United States are a part of this cohort. There were six cohorts before, but this cohort had four people. And Philadelphia got one spot. And they called me and they said, Ashley, we did a screening on you back in the fall. You maybe remember, I don't know, but you qualify. If you want this spot, it's yours. And y'all, Dave, we prayed about it. We met with them. And as God would have it, writing out my days before I was ever born, we sign up for this trial. Now, any of you in this room who follow me, pray for me, um, there's a verse that we've had. My sisters gave it to me in the very beginning, Ephesians 3.20. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine, to him be the glory. It's on my sweet little Ephesians 3.20 that um, my sweet Peyton Alsobrook gave me. And um, I think about that because a lot of you have 3.20 in your phone that is an alarm that if you don't have that, you can add that with your little storytellers app. Just alarm to pray for me at 3.20 because let me tell you what happened this past week. Y'all, this is going to rock your world. So I had scans two weeks ago and the doctors came in and y'all, there was a, another drug, we won't go into this, that hundreds of people around the world have taken that the best this job has done has prolonged life. It's, it's increased the overall survival, the OS of these people. But nobody in this other trial that's very similar to the one I'm on has ever had what they call a partial response. In Prame, the trial that I'm on, there's 40-something people. Nobody has ever had a partial response until this week. And I get this message from my doctor that, oh my gosh, Ashley, <laughs> you have a partial response. I had a negative 34% growth in my tumors, which meaning they shrunk or disappeared or were eliminated. Y'all praise Jesus for that. Thank you so much. I, I would receive that. I would receive that. And I say that to go, gosh, what a great God, you know, we have. Um, I mean, I'm so encouraged. It makes it so much easier because I go once a week. I didn't tell y'all this. The PRAME trial that we signed up for is a once-a-week treatment in Philadelphia. 
We have to fly up there every Sunday and stay through Tuesday, have treatment, stay in this beautiful hotel. It's kind of cool. Um, and guess what AFLAC does? They pay for all of it. Y'all, I'm serious. Where's the blue jacket? And I just love them. But also that God would be so sweet with that, right? I mean, there are other things that we have to pay for, but really the flights and people going with me, it's just not a burden that Dave and I've had to take. And I think how funny it is that God allowed me not to take the stairs that day, but I got on the elevator. Y'all, had I been 10 minutes later, we would have never met. Do not tell me that God is not a God of details and that he doesn't write out the days before you were ever born and that he doesn't speak tenderly to you because he does. So I'm going to just kind of wrap this up and just say that I had something really sweet happen um, this past year, three things actually. And I will tell you, and this, this may be kind of heavy, but one of the things that all of us in this room have in common is we are all going to die. We're all going to die. And I have to tell you, I have zero fear of death. Okay, I, I fear the process of dying, if I'm honest. I have a, this fear that my kids or family will be angry with God because of something that might happen. But I don't fear dying because I know if I was to die today, then I'm going to be with Jesus in heaven tonight. You know, today. I mean, at that moment, that's when it's going to happen. But I'll tell you one sweet thing. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite verses is in Psalm 90, and it's, Teach us to number our days that we would have a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we would have a heart of wisdom. Because, you know, we don't live like that Tim McGraw song, you know, let's live like you're dying. We don't live like that. But the silver lining to when you have a cancer diagnosis is those big things that you think are so big, they kind of become small. Those people that you've got that grudge against, you forgive them. And those times that you want to intentionally spend with people, you do. So I will tell you that um, when I was first diagnosed, I had a a very good friend of mine who um, they gave us a very generous gift. And they said, you know what, you can spend this however you want. You can spend it to pay your bills or, I don't know, pay off whatever or take a trip if you want. And we decided to take a portion of that money and go on a trip. And we went to St. John, Virgin Islands. If you've never been, I highly recommend it and love our little person that helped us. And I would gladly give you her name. We had the most wonderful time. All of my kids went, and it was great. I met Giannis there, which is kind of funny. If you don't know who he is, that's a fun story. But having said that, um, I was snorkeling one day. My kids were with me, and they could tell you that I'm kind of a fast swimmer. And I was in this bay, and there was like this island in the middle, and I had gotten on the outside of the island, and I took my mask off just to kind of see where they were. And I looked out. I couldn't see them because I was so fast. And I look out, and y'all, if you've never been there, the color of that water There is no color in the coloring book or in the coloring box, rather, that is the color of that water. I was not looking for a spiritual moment, but I had one. I'm I'm just there. Nobody is around me. And it's just me in the ocean. And I was like, wow, God, this is cool. I mean, this is beautiful. And it was as if God said in my spirit, you know what, Ashley, this is beautiful, but heaven is better than this. And y'all fast forward a couple of weeks when we go to bed at night. It used to be I stayed up forever, but now I I fall asleep like that. Dave will stay up reading and and looking at stuff for work or whatever, but he had fallen asleep early this one night. His light was still on, and I can remember looking over at him, and and he was so sweet. Y'all, if you know Dave, he's just the most amazing man, and I just remember thinking, this man loves me so well. Y'all, he's the type of person that his desire is to put a smile on my face every day, and he does it. He legitimately does it, whether it's sending me a funny jiff or sending me a, him 
you know, um, karaokeing a song in the car, like he'll sing it to me or whatever. It's just, he's just a, uh, he's just an incredible husband. And I remember sitting there and staring at him and thinking, wow, he loves me so well. And it was, it was if, as if God said, you think he loves you well? I love you more. And heaven is better than this. And then this one's kind of a weird one because my sister Margie rented a lake house at the beginning of the summer. And I was in Alex City working and I decided to go by and see her at lunch. And she was in the back with my sister and one of her friends. And I come into this lake house and y'all, that's actually kind of an offensive word to this place. It was a lake mansion. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I was like, who lives like this? The floors were marble. You walk in the front door, and it's flanked by a white baby grand piano and a black baby grand piano. There was like a a painting that was two stories tall of the man who owned the house. Okay, there's all these crazy details that I was like, I have no idea how much that costs. And I think there were five kitchens. Okay, I might be exaggerating on that. Um, The other thing is when you came in, you saw nothing but the pristine pool and the lake, you couldn't see anybody else. And I'm standing there by myself going, this is insane. This is, this is beautiful. What a mansion. And again, y'all, in my spirit, I felt like God tenderly said to me, but Ashley, I've gone before you. And I've prepared a mansion for you in heaven. And heaven is better than this. Y'all, there's a part of me I just want y'all to hear that today. Because the last thing I kind of want to, to bring to full circle is... I know, like, I love the whole storytellers thing because we get to come up and tell our story and hopefully share with people the cool things and how God has shown up in our lives. But I cannot tell you how many people have said to me over this year, what I'm going through is nothing compared to what you're going through, Ashley. And I just want to stop right there and say, what a lie from Satan, because everybody in this room has their stuff. I'll say it that way. (laughs) They have their stuff. And it's not always good. It's not always easy, whether it's financial issues or marriage issues or way you're parenting your children or or COVID or COVID hit your family tragically, or maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer. Everybody's got their stuff, y'all. And the last thing I want people to think is that we can't share our story or for you to think that God doesn't show up in your life like he's showing up in mine. Because what I'd like to be able to tell everybody, y'all, I went to ACC's Worthy Night last week, and some of you kind of were with me there. And one of the cute things that happened there is that Courtney um, Fidel was leading it, and she had these different speakers. And this one lady, and I think her name was Medine or Medina, she got up, and y'all, it was the cutest thing. She said, y'all, God wants to tell you something every day. Okay, but we have to wait expectantly for it. We have to surrender to the fact that he's got something to tell you. As a matter of fact, my favorite part of the whole thing was she said... <laughs> Our God is so chatty. I mean, let that marinate. I love that. I like one a t-shirt that says, my God is chatty. Um, and I thought it was so cute. She held up her Bible or, you know, an image of her Bible. And she said, I mean, he wrote the whole Bible because he's got so much to tell you. And yet we let the enemy clamor for our attention and drown out all the things that God wants to tell us. And y'all, we are told that we can fight the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I think that's one reason it's so cool that we've got storytellers that were able to do this. And so if you left here hearing nothing else that I said, what I'd love for you to hear is that just like God said to me, I will allure her and I will take her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. He's got the same words for you. You just have to be expectant and look for it and give him credit where credit is due. Because a lot of times what people be is they'll be like, oh, that's so random. Look at that kind of cool thing that happened. Oh, it was just by chance. Y'all, that's not the truth. 
Okay, I'm just going to tell you that God loves you too much, but we do have to look for it. So I will tell you moving forward, we're still going to Philly once a week. We go forever. You go until it stops working. So on any Sunday, if you're thinking, gosh, you know, life is kind of tough. I want you to think about me flying to Philly and then kind of having treatment and coming home. I typically don't feel good for about two days and then everything is better. And then I go back again. It's kind of this, you feel like it's a revolving door. But I'm so thankful for it, so thankful for my team of doctors, thankful for all of you who have ministered to me and fed me and fed our family. Um, That's just been a gift and continues to be a gift as we move forward. And for tonight, I just want to say thank you for letting me share my story because that's it. I want to end praying because I really wanted it to be kind of less of me and more of him. And I thank you all because I'm sure this was really long. So let me just pray real quick. Father, I just thank you that you are such a good God. I thank you that you love us so tenderly that you would speak the way that we need to hear it in the moments that we need to hear it. God, we give you credit for being a sovereign God that takes care of all the details of our lives. I thank you for the good report that I got this, this past week, and I give you the credit for it. I thank you for all the doctors working behind the scenes. But God, you order their steps, and I just thank you for that. I pray that I would live a long and healthy life, hundreds of years that I get to spend with my family. That's what I plan on doing. But God, I just thank you um, for all the sweet ways that you take care of us, and just pray you continue to do so. We give you the glory for it tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. I loved how she closed with prayer. And again, just being in the room that night, I just can't tell you how moving it was. But Ashley, not only did she talk about God speaking tenderly to her, I love that word, (laughs) and him being in the details of, of her life and certainly through this journey. But she absolutely knows where she's going. And I think that is our prayer Mm -hmm. for this episode, is that if you do not know where you will spend eternity, that you would spend some time Mm -hmm. seeking that answer. Mm -hmm. It was such a beautiful reminder. I loved when she said, God is so chatty that she had heard that. (laughs) And because so often I think we think, God doesn't talk to me. Well, you have a Bible that is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages long, and it's a very long text from God directly <laughs> to you. So I would encourage you, get in His Word and and hear what He's saying to you. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of the story of her just talking about the details of God being God being in the details of her life and the whole Affleck story. <laughs> I love I it. Cannot could not stop laughing um, about that. And then you know the title of the of her story was Heaven is Better Than This. And I think Linda, you mentioning you know her, the whole theme of her story is she knows where she's going mm-hmm. and she's looking forward to it because it's better. Mm-hmm. God told her not only is it more beautiful, but somebody loves her more there. And and he has a mansion waiting for her. And those three reminders were just so important, um, I think, for each of us to hear and to, to take that with us and approach life knowing that there is an eternal home waiting for us. She really built that foundation with scripture and, mm-hmm. and talked about her upbringing. Again, parents, pour scripture into your children it is so important because that will come back to you. You yeah. know, you you write that on your heart, yeah. but it does come back to you, especially in trials like this. And and I appreciated that she said fear will drive your behavior unless you can rest in the scripture mm-hmm. and, and what you know is truth. And that really spoke to me because I've found myself, I've talked many times about walking through surgeries with our daughter, and it's really easy to find yourself in fear and anxiety and And sometimes even knowing those scriptures, you may not believe it, but you have it Mm. and you say it out loud and you rest on the fact that you know that it's truth, even if you don't feel that it's truth. And I I don't know for Ashley, I'm not going to put words on her, but I know for me that has just helped tremendously over time is 
worship songs are oftentimes based 100% on scripture. And so that's something that I'll do is just sit and listen. But listening to worship is scripture memory over and over. I always say I love when God kind of layers things on us. And if you have not listened to last week's story, Heather Johnston really fired us up about stepping out in faith when God's calling you to do something. I love how this week God tenderly laid upon us just, yes, He wants us to step out in faith, but more than anything, He wants us to view life with this eternal perspective. So I thank Ashley so much for being so vulnerable in what she's walking through and pointing us back to what matters most, and that is Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening today. We know you were as encouraged as we were. So have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.